I'm a cunt, and I don't listen to our damn fellow more because that's fake news. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Thalamore. Everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 543 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and today I am joined by the very inconvenienced, lovely, talented, scholarly Brittany Page. So, okay. <laughs> um, I hate your your dumb phrase that you constantly use. What's that? About the sausage. But you're how the sausage is made. Yeah, but you're clearly um, referencing something that was half happening. I don't know what you mean. Off pod, as they say. I don't know what you mean. Um, But yes, I am incredibly inconvenienced right now. You know, the whole point of having the new studio space and having a streamlined setup is that we didn't have to put up and put down every time we had to pick up, up and, and put put, put, da- put down <laughs> um every time we had to do a podcast or a youtube video uh it was supposed to just be here's the area where we podcast here's the area where we do the youtube and that is not fully in place yet because i am still wow. being inconvenienced and having to move my area around but you 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 don't have to do that. You're totally um, the opposite of inconvenience. First of all, let me say, let me commend you on your <laughs> your your ability to just mesmerize with the language. Very, very impressive. Thank you. Uh, secondly, white trash. I offered to move the goddamn desk over to the to the to the right. Yeah, mm-hmm. my right, your left. Yeah, slightly. And how long would that take? Five minutes. Exactly. Oh, that's too much. It is too much. That in itself. <laughs> so fixing the inconvenience yeah. is too much of an inconvenience. At this moment, Therefore, yeah. you languish in inconvenience. How about this? Fix the inconvenience at a time when it wouldn't be inconvenient for me. That's well, what you need to do. It's a two-man job to do so. Well, that's true. So hopefully Popeye can help you. <laughs> Hopefully, Pop, I can give you a hand with that. He's too busy trying to get that fucking cone off his neck. Unsuccessful. Unsuccessful. Mm -hmm. Although it is now creased and bent and smashed. He did some damage to it. Because he is not a weak dog. He's not a weak dog. He's also, um, he doesn't like to listen. Um, There are frequent standoffs with Popeye. Yeah, he's not very obedient, this dog. Uh, (laughs) It's not one of his strong points. If if you if, oftentimes what happens is turns into a standoff. Yeah, you'll you'll order him around. Yep. And if he gets it in his head that he's not going to do it, uh huh, he's not going to do it. And then it turns into this thing where it's eye to eye, staring each other down. Who's going to break first? <laughs> and usually it's us. It really does happen yeah. like that. For those of you who are thinking, no, no, it really does happen like that, and it is quite difficult. But that's what happens that is when it. you have a strong-willed pup 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. English bulldog, especially. Yeah, that's what you always say. So, what do you mean that's what I always say? That it's unique to the breed. Well, it's not complete. I mean, there are other breeds that are stubborn, but I think bulldogs are known as being dickheads mm-hmm. when it, you know, they don't, they're on their own fucking program. Yeah. He eats when he wants to eat. The only thing he really can't choose whether or not to do, because I can pick him up and carry him around, mm-hmm. is like go outside. Yeah. Some, I mean, he always wants to go in in the, the coldest room in the house. That's, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Anyway, now we're all over the fucking map. Welcome to the show, everybody. Well, let's stop talking about things that make us feel happy and fulfilled. And let's start taking talking about things <laughs> that just bring an incredible amount of depression and anxiety. The democratic debates, everybody. <laughs> wow. They happen. And actually, listen. Oh, God. It was actually the better of the all three debates. This was the best fucking one, for sure. Absolutely. And let's talk about that for a moment, because what do you think made the difference? What do you think it was that made this one so much more substantial I think there's than many, the previous debates? I think there's there's many aspects to that question, many answers. One one, first of all, is that you've got your core group of qualified, viable candidates, like not Marianne Williamson, who's talking about dark spirits and being a fucking weirdo. Um, you've got all the people who aren't trying to, with with a few exceptions, aren't just trying to throw bombs and snipe at one another. There was like substantial policy um, differences brought forward and actually discussed uh, in as much as you can on this particular format. That, that's one way, is that you didn't have John Delaney there and um, the, just the other ding-dongs, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's one way. The other way, I think, is just the fact that uh, ABC ran a good program. Mm-hmm. Program. Yeah, I think that the talking time was a big part of it. So if the candidates were asked a question directly, they had, I believe, a minute and a half to respond And then if they were responding to another candidate or their name was mentioned or they needed to give some sort of rebuttal, then they had 45 seconds. Yeah. So the time for them to talk was extended quite a bit. Um, In the previous debates, you didn't have that much time. And I'm not sure if that was because it was so many candidates that they had to get to being 20 people across two nights and... You know, I don't know what the plan was there, but this was still a three-hour debate, still very long. Um, actually, it was shorter than three hours, a little bit. It, it didn't like seem, by twenty minutes. Yeah, I think. it didn't seem as long as the others. Yeah, it ended. I think like fifteen to twenty minutes early. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe because the resiliency question at the end didn't go as long. I don't know. But um, they threw some button hooks. This is the other thing I think is that they they focused on fewer topics. It wasn't this panoply of like 15 or 20 things they addressed, there were specific things they got to. Education, uh, racism in America, uh, getting out of Afghanistan, a a few rather than numerous. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there anyone that was missing from the debate stage that you wished had been there? Oh, wow. That's, I don't, I don't think so. Not that I can think of you. I assume you asked the question because you had somebody because I don't really have anybody. No, I just you. I know that 
um, for Friday the 13th, they do a lot of tattoo discounts and you went and got a Marianne Williamson <laughs> tattoo yesterday. So I was wondering if you just wanted to talk about you know what's your funny? feelings about her not being on the debate stage. You and- know what's funny about that nutter is she tweeted the other day about that the, the power of her mind, everybody's positive thinking is what turned the hurricane away from the, the coast of the United States. Mm. Um, that's literally what she said. I'm not being metaphorical or exaggerative or incorrectly paraphrasing. She said, people's power of mind is what did it. Power of now. That's not how it works. First of all, I don't know if you know, but you know, you can't just think about a hurricane. Le- it's not the secret where you, you put a hurricane turning off the coast of the United States on your, on your dream board or your wish board. And then it does that. That's, That's not how right. you, you don't control the weather with your mind, Marianne Williamson. I totally fucked that up. I referenced the power of now. I meant the secret. I think they're the same thing. I have the same no kind idea. Of thing. I don't know. So anyway, she took to a few conservative outlets and was talking about how much liberals are hateful and mean spirited and hate religion. So she went the other way. She took the conservative Republican way of thinking about things that just because you say, hey, that you can't pray a hurricane off the coast of the United States. She's like, oh, prayer is important. Why would you impugn? Blah. She freaked out. I think what, what it is now, she realizes she's done. She's not, not going to be getting a bunch of nationally recognized TV time on, on the debate stage. And now she needs to do what she needs to do to keep herself in the limelight. Yeah. Well, let's go through how many uh, total minutes were spoken yeah, by each yeah. candidate because there was this sense. And I know that you, as you and I were watching the debate, we both said, okay, Elizabeth Warren has not spoken for like 20 full minutes. Yeah, was, she just kind of disappeared from the stage again. Her and Bernie. I, and I don't know if it's a full 20, but it for sure was 15 minutes had gone by before we'd heard from Bernie or Elizabeth Warren. And then as we were talking about that, I started to see tweets from former I Doubt It with Dolan Moore podcast guest Marissa Baradaran. Oh, yeah. Um, saying the exact same thing. So she's great on Twitter, by the way. She is great. Um, but we weren't alone in that assessment. But what's surprising is Elizabeth Warren was second in her total minutes spoken, second behind Joe Biden. Well, it's because they went through periods, for instance, during the healthcare debate, which mm-hmm. really was uh, a fundamentally different kind of interaction on this debate than normal. It was so much better. It I was felt fucking like refreshing. Th- they completely distilled the differences down between each candidate in a way that was so clear and so easy to understand. Where the other debates, everything was just so mangled. Like yeah, yeah. It, you just it was difficult to tell who was saying what and who felt what way and Yeah, well I mean, the question would be uh excuse me, Bernie Sanders, how here's the question. How, you you want to fundamentally transform what makes up 20%, 25% of the United States economy, a massive swath percentage of our GDP. You have 15 seconds to explain how you're going to do it. And go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so maybe that was it, the extended talking time that they were given to respond to the questions and provide rebuttals to people, all those different things. But it also just seemed like maybe the way that the questions were written uh, allowed for more debate over the differences between the candidates as well. Yeah, I, I also I don't know because we didn't have a stopwatch running to make sure the, the the moderators were abiding by the rules, the letter of the law. But it seemed to me like the moderators, 
used their better judgment that when something was going in a good direction to kind of let it happen. Yeah. And that, I think, is a winner, too. Yeah. So Biden spoke for 17.4 minutes. Elizabeth Warren was 16.5. And then you had Cory Booker in third with 14.7, which is surprising because uh, according to the polling, right, Sanders is third. Yeah. And Cory Booker is at the bottom. Yeah. He's like not the very bottom, but he's toward the bottom. He's for sure in the bottom three. Right. Um, A very good communicator. He is. It is. He's just very passionate when he talks. It is almost like listening to a sermon. <laughs> well, I, here's <laughs> like how- you feel moved by it. You know, he, he also is able to distill kind of disparate ideas across different topics mm-hmm. and he will summarize listen this is what i'm hearing what we're talking about across policing and across healthcare and this is also about this and then he gives this larger broader impact on our society he's fucking awesome yeah cory booker is not getting enough love from the electorate right now i am definitely a fan of him i will say his answer at the end to the resiliency question was not uh good for me because he talked about you know, the documentary team following him around and they ended well, up losing the Oscar. I disagree and like it with went you. in a very uh, I disagree. Okay. Be- and the reason I disagree is because he actually answered the motherfucking question. We're gonna play that. We're not gonna play his, yeah. but we're gonna play Biden's and Buttigieg. Mm. Because the question was professional setback. Yeah. And because Biden went first, well, I'm we're, we're talking about it early, but Biden went first and he like recalibrated how you could answer the question and have it be allowed. Yeah. He didn't give a professional setback. He gave that thing where you're asked in a, in an interview, what's your biggest weakness? And he goes, Oh, my biggest weakness is I care too much. I mean, that's, <laughs> I work super yeah, hard. I'm, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm a some, perfectionist. I work to, to exhaustion. <laughs> Sometimes I just pass out at my desk because I've worked so hard. I mean, that's the kind of answer he gave. I live to work at this job, but, but, but Buddha judge actually gave professional setback. Mm-hmm. And so, did Cory Booker, yeah. where the others just talked about, uh, you know, my 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 father uh, grew up in China or wherever Andrew Yang's uh, f- father grew up, uh, working in a peanut farm, living in a place with no floor. I don't know how he's suspended in midair and not having a floor, but. <laughs> they all they all do you know Hillary, Hillary Clinton does the whole my mom cleaned houses oh and everybody's God. given their sob story yeah 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 so anyway um and not professional setback I is think what Elizabeth I'm Warren did that though by the way yeah of course yeah. I'm not saying listen no I'm just you're only highlighting one person who answered the question other people did answer the question other people did not answer the question and that's typically what happens you know yeah but it's such a great opportunity to actually show it was. To show the American people a little bit of humility, yeah, because we're really going crazy. We're gonna we're gonna save that. That's the last clip that okay, we're gonna. Don't play. say we're going crazy. You're going crazy. You're diving into it too, madam, soon. madam, madam. I like please. that. Please, yes, please. All right, uh, Sanders was fourth in speaking time. We're still there with fourteen point one minutes, <laughs> and then just going down from there. So the top four with the the most speaking time were Biden, Warren, Booker, and um, Sanders. And then going down from there, you had Harris, Buttigieg, Castro, Klobuchar, O'Rourke. <laughs> I struggle with that every yeah. time I try O'Rourke. to say O'Rourke. Um, and Yang. Yang was last with 7.9 minutes, and he's always last think, in terms of speaking time. I think Bernie was um, had a sore throat or something. I don't think he felt well. 
his voice was more raspy and angry grandpa-y than it normally is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think he was kind of uh, at a disadvantage there. Anyway, let's get going here. Um, before we do, we want to say, because there's not going to be an ad roll, a mid-roll in the middle of this, that if you appreciate what we do, we would love to invite you to go check out Patreon, our Patreon page, to help support our efforts here. Um, you can go to teamdollamore.com or uh, dollamore.com slash Patreon. God damn, I never read these, so I don't know. Um, and there are different tiers. There are rewards. And we, if we were able to marshal the size of our audience... Every little bit, you could give two or three dollars a month, and it would tremendously change the way we operate here. It would really give us a lot of freedom to do things differently. We could we have a lot more guests. We could travel to do shows. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of things that we want to do, and because the money is what it is, we're not able to do that. So please just go check it out. If you're in a position to do so, do it. Um, if you're not. It's a free podcast. We love that you listen. Your loyalty in that respect is immeasurable, and we appreciate it very much. Before we move on, can we just quickly do our like winners and losers, like our quick t- takeaways? Right after this. Dilemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So who would you consider to be the winner? And then if you could pick, let's do more than one loser. Let's say two people that we feel should be um, dropping out of the race. Uh, Castro is a loser. Okay. The big loser of the night. Mm -hmm. And we're going to play the clip in which he he has a a pre-ready-to-go line about biden forgetting things Mm -hmm. which was a low blow Mm -hmm. because listen you don't have to make some snide remark about the fact that biden has made flubs all over the campaign trail and may or may not be suffering from the natural decline of cognitive ability and memory and performance in that manner you you don't have to give some snarky bullshit throwaway line just address it front front Head on. Well, it's just funny to me that Castro's team is like sitting around going, you know what? I think our strategy here should be ageism. (laughs) Let's go with that. Yeah. I mean, how is that going to be a winner at all? Yeah. So I think he he is a big loser for sure. Um, Winner? Yeah. I don't know if there's one single. For me, probably Cory Booker, I think. Um, And and not like he was the resounding you know, head and shoulders above everybody else. But comparatively speaking from his performance in previous debates, I think he's, he gets the most improved award. Yeah. Um, I would say I'm going to give like a, well, this is kind of difficult for me. Well, can I, I give another loser? Yeah. I'm sorry. Joe Biden. Okay. Yeah. Also a big loser because he really was just a, a stuttering, stammering fucking mess. And really, and I tweeted this out during the debate, that if this, if you're watching Joe Biden and you're thinking to yourself, oh yeah, this guy's gonna fucking kill Trump in the debates, you're, you're out of your mind. And look, it was pointed out that Donald Trump, that Hillary Clinton killed Trump in all of the debates and still lost. 
but you can't lose to Donald Trump in a debate and think it's going to translate well. You have to dominate Trump in a debate and still risk losing with this weird political climate we're in. If you lose to Donald Trump in a debate, it is over. It is fucking over. Yes. Okay. So Biden was definitely a loser for me. Um, there were several problematic points during the debate um, that just show that he he's a weak link here. And yeah. it's very disappointing that he is still at the top of the field. Um, Andrew Yang is also a loser for me. Um, he has a lot of interesting ideas. I think that UBI is a good idea. Universal basic income. Yeah, so do I. So do I. Um, but... It's going to be a necessary thing that we do. Sorry. It's going to be necessary with automation because we are on in five years, like automated truck drive. Truck drivers aren't going to have fucking jobs in five to seven years. It's just the way it is. Yeah. I, uh, I don't like the little jokes that he makes about, um, Asians. Like he says, I'm Asian, so I'm good at math. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. the one that he used during this debate was, um, I'm Asian. So I know a lot. Of I know doctors. a lot of doctors. Yeah. That's right. And this is another thing. So as I'm watching the debates, I'm like scrolling through Twitter, trying to like get a read on how people are reacting to things, what's going on, especially since I, I follow people, um, intellectuals, academics, political people that I respect and, and think are intellectual. And this tweet got liked by several of the people that I follow. And so it rose to the top of my timeline, you know, like yeah, how the yeah. algorithm yeah, kind yeah. of props up things that get liked a lot. And this guy said, quote, Andrew Yang just said on the debate stage that he is Asian. So he knows a lot of doctors perpetuating the model minority myth is not helpful to anyone. And I felt like that was just a, Great way to express the message, right? Yeah. Um, and I wonder if Andrew Yang's strategy is appealing to, like, voters who have racism, hints of racism, like Donald Trump supporters or people who could be prone to go that direction, kind of thinking, oh, look at this guy. Yeah. Like, making these jokes that I make. Yeah, I don't know if, if it's, a if it's a, like, a thought-out, um, choreographed s- strategy, but... Whether or not that's the case, he's had to make statements that if you're a white supremacist, I don't want your your support because there's a lot of racist and virulent haters out there who love Andrew Yang. And that's not to say all his supporters are, but it does create a problem when you have a subset of your, uh, you know, a large subset of your supporter base that have virulent problematic views. Yeah, so they they stood out to me as me just kind of thinking, like, there's not a lot that is being added here. There's not value yeah, added to yeah. the discussion. I felt that way with Amy Klobuchar, too. Um, but when it comes to people that I really liked and felt like there was a lot of value added, um, Cory Booker, obviously, but Pete Buttigieg as well. And as he was talking... He's I, another one who has that Cory Booker t- type of ability to distill large ideas absolutely. and make them consumable. A very talented communicator. Yeah. And and so good on his feet, too. Um, and he doesn't come across as rehearsed or disingenuous, like a political operative. He, he comes across as a genuine character, which is really great. Um, but I was envisioning the um, presidential election. And I was, as I was listening to the debate, driving home from work, and I was imagining the vice president debate. You know, how Mike Pence went up against yeah. uh, Tim... 
Tim Kaine. Tim Kaine. From Virginia. Last time. Um, how great would it be to have evangelical nutter Mike Pence. Anti-gay bigot. Go up against Pete Buttigieg, who would just dominate him, who, both who, from Indiana. Who, who, and Pete Buttigieg isn't like an atheist or agnostic. He's religious. Right. He's a religious He's a person. Christian. He is yeah. a man of faith. Right. So you have two men of faith from Indiana, from Indiana, <laughs> um, going up against each other. And that would just be spectacular. Yeah. Well, that would be a one, fantastic debate. One who bravely, valiantly served in uniform. Right. In Iraq and Afghanistan. And the other who and pretends the other one to be a, a patriot. Fuck, yeah. The other one who's a fucking coward who did not serve his country in, in uniform yet, you know, fawns over the troops like uh, he was one of them. Yeah. Ugh. Um, there were disappointing elements to Warren's performance for me. We're gonna get to him. Um, I got him. But so I'll just I'll just kind of <laughs> stop there and we'll get into it. All right. Well, first let's start uh, with someone. Oh, Kamala Harris. We haven't even mentioned. <clears throat> oh, Kamala Harris. We haven't even mentioned Kamala mm-hmm. Harris. Yeah. And we're gonna start with her because she really outlined her new strategy. Yeah. Hers hers is the only opening statement that we're gonna play. Um, and it, the reason we're going to play it because it really did set her apart as f- for me, it was very obvious what she was doing. Uh, it doesn't seem to have worked, but, um, anyway, this is her opening statement. Senator Kamala Harris. Thank you. It's great to be back at TSU. So I plan on spending tonight talking with you about my plans to address the problems that keep you up at night. But first, I have a few words for Donald Trump, who we all know is watching. So, President Trump, you've spent the last two and a half years full-time trying to sow hate and division among us, as, and that is why we've got nothing done. You have used hate, intimidation, fear, and over 12,000 lies as a way to distract from your failed policies and your broken promises. The only reason you've not been indicted is because there was a memo in the Department of Justice that says a sitting president cannot be charged with a crime. But here's what you don't get. What you don't get is that the American people are so much better than this. And we know that the vast majority of us have so much more in common than what separates us, regardless of our race, where we live, or the party with which we're registered to vote. And I plan on focusing on our common issues, our common hopes and desires, and in that way unifying our country, winning this election, and turning the page for America. And now, President Trump, you can go back to watching Fox News. So I didn't even think of what the strategy could have been here. You were actually the one who brought it up, brought it to my attention. So can you reveal your um, profound insight for everybody else um, <laughs> in pro- the audience? Well, I, I don't know. Well, you pro- knew right away. And as soon as you said it, I'm like, that makes complete sense. Yeah, I don't know that. And I might not even be right because I haven't really seen this anywhere out there. But she... She's addressing Trump directly. Listen, when you're floundering and you're not, not, she's not floundering in the polls, but she's certainly not growing. She's not advancing her campaign relative to public opinion. So what do you do to raise your, your profile? You attack the president directly. You, you address Donald Trump directly. We all know you're watching. <laughs> Everybody laughs. And at the end, now you can go back to watching Fox News. So you're just shitting on Donald Trump right to his face directly, looking into the camera, speaking into his eyes, hoping 
that he, now he's going to attack you. Now the president of the United States is going to be attacking you on Twitter. That the media is going to be talking about that. And free now, press. now you get free press. You get free mentions in the media. People are going to be hearing about you, learning about you, mm-hmm. looking you up, maybe, maybe thinking, oh. She is elevated. She is the main candidate. I need to give her money. There's a, there's a lot of elements to it, but that's that's my takeaway from that. And I one, I think it's a failing strategy. You need to win on the merits of your own ideas and who you are and your own personality, not win on the merits of Donald Trump attacking you and having you you be uh, his fixation. Well, and it's cer- certainly different than her strategy in the previous debates where she went directly at the top candidate, That's right. Joe Biden. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. So That's now true. she's completely shifted her attention away from that because there was none of that from Kamala this yeah, time. I don't, not not um, at all. And she was the one actually who mentioned Trump the most during the debate. She mentioned him 11 times. Yeah. Uh, the next candidate that talked about Trump the most was uh, Castro with seven times. I think like Klobuchar did he mention Donald Trump? Yeah, no mentions. And Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, and like one, Joe Biden one or only two one. Times. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And actually, Trump was mentioned um, only thirty-five times during that debate. A when three-hour debate, only mentioned that many times. That's- when. In the first debate, he was mentioned 61 times, yeah, yeah. and in the second debate, 72 times. So I don't know if that's just a general strategy of like people are trying to battle for the lead in the party, and they're not worried about talking about Trump as much, and uh, Kamala is like, you guys can go that way, I'm going to go this other way, I'm going after Trump, you know? Well, I think, one, it is going to be an individual choice by per campaign how they're going to deal with it. But at some point, they're going to have to realize, and I think they are starting to realize it, that this isn't a de- these are debates to figure out who's going to be the Democratic primary winner, who's going to be the general election candidate. And you can't be talking about Trump the whole goddamn time. At some point, you're going to have to refine your ideas, put your ideas against those uh, of uh, of your your fellow um, candidates, and uh, see who comes out on top. Yeah. So, anyway, that I I thought that that was uh, interesting. That's what came to my mind, and um, I don't think it worked for her. Well, her um, <laughs> her net favorability actually went up after the third debate. And this is according to a 538 and Ipsos poll that was done before and after the third debate. Yeah. So um, a rating of a favorability before the debate and then a rating of favorability after the debate. Well, you got to keep mind unless you really step on your dick, metaphorically speaking, you're you're not going to drop in the polls. You're going to you're everybody's going to get a little bit of a bump. Yeah, and this is um, a survey of 4,320 likely Democratic primary voters, so a pretty decent amount of people, and Castro was the only real big loser when it came to his net favorability tanking a bit. Uh, not a surprise. (laughs) And Sanders and Biden also slightly, very slightly uh, lost ground in Mm. their net favorability rating. So let's 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 move on to the the main crux of the debate, which was the healthcare side of things. They really went at it for for a quite extended time and covered a lot of ground with your main players, especially in this clip, Biden, Warren, and Sanders, who really have the most the most uh, distance between them on their policies. Several of you said you are more united than divided, and that is certainly true. All of you agree on one big thing. The goal of defeating President Trump, driving the country in a new direction. But out on the campaign trail, you have outlined big differences over how far to go and how fast to go. 
And, and Vice President Biden, the differences between you and the senators on either side of you tonight strike at the heart of this primary debate. Both senators Warren and Sanders want to replace Obamacare with Medicare for all. You want to build an Obamacare, not scrap it. They propose spending far more than you to combat climate change and tackle student loan debt, and they would raise more in taxes than you to pay for their programs. Are Senators Warren and Sanders pushing too far beyond where Democrats want to go and where the country needs to go? That'll be for the voters to decide that question. Let me tell you what I think. I think we should have a debate on health care. I think uh, I know that the senator says she's for Bernie. Well, I'm for Barack. I think the Obamacare worked. I think the way in which we add to it, replace everything that's been cut, add a public option, guarantee that everyone will be able to have affordable assurance, number one. Number two, I think we should be in a position of taking a look at what costs are. My plan for health care costs a lot of money. It costs $740 billion. It doesn't cost $30 trillion. $3.4 trillion a year, it turns out, is twice what the entire federal budget is. That's before it exists now, without interest on the debt. How are we going to pay for it? I want to hear tonight how that's happened. So as far as my distinguished friend, the senator on my left, does not has not indicated how she pays for it. And the senator has, in fact, come forward and said how he's going to pay for it, but it gets him about halfway there. There's a lot of other things that need to be done. I have a bold plan to deal with making sure we triple the money for at-risk schools that are uh, Title I schools from 40, from uh, 15 to $45 billion a year. But I go down the line, and each of the things we're talking about, I lay out how I can pay for it, how I can get it done, and why it's better. Senator Warren, let me, let me take that to you, particularly on what Senator Biden was saying there uh, about health care. He's actually praised Bernie Sanders. So we're going to stop there real quick. This is a, a lengthy clip. Candidates often go into these things with canned things that they're going to say that they hope will pick up steam, that'll become talked about. And his line that she's for Bernie, well, I'm for Barack. I, I, one, I don't think it's a winner. I think that there is a massive push right now for some kind of Medicare for all or universal health care. And Obamacare, while it was a good start, is far from perfect. In fact, it's a bummer for many, many, many millions of families out there whose, whose premiums went up. Now, I think ultimately we do need to get to some kind of a Medicare for all system. It cannot be an overnight thing from one year to the next. It needs to be a, a gradual workup. Because if you remember when Obamacare was put into place, the, the federal government couldn't even get the fucking website right to, to apply to register for Obamacare. How do you think that the federal government is going to put in place very rapidly a Medicare for all system? It's going to be a fucking nightmare. That would be my prediction. And again, because I have a Medicare for all type of uh, situation with government provided health care with the VA, which is fucking terrible. So I, I do think there's, there's a need for a little bit of a slowdown and a nuanced approach to this. But Biden's plan is just a continuation of what we've got now. Eh, not that great. Anyway, back to the line. Kind of a loser.
Yeah, I also think it's not a great strategy because Cory Booker burned him in a previous debate about how he's eager to align himself with President Obama when it looks good. And then he's not able to answer criticism of what his role is in the Obama administration. And this happened during this debate as well. Castro did it. I mean, less less. intellectually well castro pointed out cory booker said this to you last time yeah like he reiterated his line he paraphrased it in more of a dickish way yeah but (laughs) but also joe biden again he was pushed by jorge ramos saying on on the immigration issue the immigration Mm -hmm. um aspect of obama's administration how many deportations they they made right record record never before seen as donald trump would say uh levels of deportation was during the Obama administration. And Joe Biden basically said, I was the vice president. Yeah. But what? That was... What am I supposed to do? I'm the vice president. Right, right, right. I'm not the president. Yeah. Right? So eager to cozy up with Barack Obama knowing that he is popular with the Democratic Party, but not so eager to cozy up with him when he needs to respond to something that was not done correctly or was not right in the Obama administration. Also uses Barack's first name... All the time to demonstrate or illustrate they're close. They're on a first name basis. You're going to be getting a redo of the Obama administration. If you love Barack Obama from 2009 to 2017, you're going to love Obama 2.0 slash Biden. One of these days he's going to come out with a necklace, you know, the cursive writing uh, it's oh, going to yeah. say Barack in cursive writing, yeah. just hanging out of his suit. It'll be the half heart. Like, the, 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 there's a heart that's jagged, cut in half, and Obama has the other half. Yeah. Biden. And as he's answering the question, he'll, like, nervously run the yeah. Barack through yeah. the chain of the necklace, drawing attention to it. What? Very, What's this? Or very surreptitiously. <laughs> anyway, this, this exchange continues. Thanks for being candid about his health care plan that Senator says that Senator Sanders has been candid about the fact that middle class taxes are going to go up, and most of private insurance is going to be eliminated. Will you make that same admission? So let's be clear about health care, and let's actually start where Vice President did. We all owe a huge debt to President Obama, who fundamentally transformed health care in America and committed this country to health care for every human being. And now the question is, how best can we improve on it? And I believe the best way we can do that is we make sure that everybody gets covered by health care at the lowest possible cost. How do we pay for it? We pay for it. Those at the very top, the richest individuals and the biggest corporations, are going to pay more. And middle class families are going to pay less. That's how this is going to work. Direct question. You said middle-class families are going to pay less, but will middle-class taxes go up to pay for the program? I know you believe that the deductibles and the premiums will go down. Will middle-class taxes go up? Will private insurance be eliminated? Look, what families have to deal with is cost, total cost. That's what they have to deal with. And understand, families are paying for their health care today. Families pay every time an insurance company says, sorry, you can't see that specialist. Every time an insurance company says, sorry, that doctor is out of network. Sorry, we are not covering that prescription. Families are paying 
Every time they don't get a prescription filled because they can't pay for it, they don't have a lump checked out because they can't afford the copay. What we're talking about here is what's going to happen in families' pockets, what's going to happen in their budgets. And the answer is on Medicare for all. Costs are going to go up for wealthier individuals, and costs are going to go up for giant corporations. But for hardworking families across this country, costs are going to go down, and that's how it should work under Medicare for all in our health care system. Senator Sanders, you were invoked by the vice president. Also, So this is where I, it bums me out about Elizabeth Warren. Because it should be easy to say, for, for me, it's clear that she's avoiding the question. About raising taxes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, overall, what she's saying is totally correct. But you could start it by saying, yes, but here's how that works. People don't care about... What they care about is their bank account at the end of the month. How much they make at the end of the year. And yeah, their taxes are going to go up, but there's also bills that they pay during the month that they're not going to have anymore that's going to completely counteract that. I wish she was more... And listen... Up to this point, Elizabeth Warren is my choice. Right now, that's who I'm supporting. That could change because I'm critical about everybody up there on the on the dais. Everybody standing behind their individual podium gets criticism from me in my private life when I'm thinking about shit on my couch, which I spend a lot of time on. <laughs> yeah. And also sitting in this chair behind this microphone. Or in front of it. In a very convenient place where you don't have to move things around. It's always very static. You don't have to. It's just seamless. Yeah, that's right. I'm not inconvenienced at all. But I'm criticizing her here. This this bums me out that she's not being more direct. Because when you start looking squirrely, when you start looking like you're being shifty and not trying to answer the question, it appears as though you're hiding something. And when we get further on in the campaign, if you're the general election candidate, it's going to be easy to fucking tear you apart. So why not get ahead of that? Do like Bernie Sanders does and say, you're goddamn right. You're goddamn right. <laughs> yeah. And I understand why she's hesitant to do it, because um, the line will be latched on to um, similar to Beto's call for taking the AR-15s. Yeah. And it will be used against her. But it it looks bad to not admit it. It looks like you're hiding something. It looks odd. So it is better to just be upfront. And I understand the fear that people won't get it or people are going to take it the wrong way. You're always going to have some element of that. I mean, they have to know this, being public figures, that there's just no way around some people... Uh, misconstruing what they said, uh, sometimes even willfully doing that. So there's no way around it. There's going to be some element you're, of that. You're but, exactly right. But you have to be straightforward because it matters. And it does, even to me, look odd. Just come forward and say it. Well, you're, they're going to say that you're going to raise their taxes, whether you say what you just said or whether you say, I'm going to raise your taxes. But those taxes are going to eliminate several other checks that you're going to have to write to insurance companies during the month. Yeah. Anyway, I just, I, I want to be as transparent as possible here. And also I want to demonstrate to everybody because I know we get emails of people being pissed off every time we cr- uh, criticize a candidate. And I want you to know that I'm also criticizing the person that I'm supporting right now. Well, I think it's useful to do that as well because 
I see it a lot where Democrats tend to say, you know, we're the thinking party, we're the party of science, we're the party who values these things, the Republicans don't. But then you still see the exact same type of tribalism um, in Democrats that you see in Republicans, where there is a refusal to acknowledge um, problems with candidates that they support. There's a refusal to admit biases that they that they do hold because they support a certain person. So I think it is important to have these discussions and ensure that people understand it's okay to admit that there may be fault with some of the candidates that you support right now. You yeah. know, well, listen, let, let, this is the time to have those conversations let, right now. Let me expand on that. Like, for instance, Joe Biden would be an immeasurably better president than Donald Trump. And I would still be disappointed with him as president. It doesn't mean he wouldn't be better than Trump. It just means there's so many other choices out there who would be better than Joe Biden. And this is the time to have those conversations. This is not the time to say no one else has a chance except for Joe Biden. No, this is the time to put in work and try to elevate the candidate that you do want. Right now is the time to do that. So this segment of the healthcare debate continues. Take on that question about taxes. Uh, Joe said that uh, Medicare for all would cost over $30 trillion. That's right, Joe. Status quo over 10 years will be $50 trillion. Every study done shows that Medicare for all is the most cost-effective approach to providing health care to every man, woman, and child in this country. I, who wrote the damn bill, if I may say so, (laughs) intend to eliminate all out-of-pocket expenses, all deductibles, all co-payments. Nobody in America will pay more than $200 a year for prescription drugs because we're going to stand up to the greed and corruption and price-fixing of the pharmaceutical industry. We need, we need a health care system that guarantees health care to all people, as every other major country does, not a system which provides $100 billion a year in profit for the drug companies and the insurance companies. And to tell you how absurd the system is, tonight on ABC, the health care industry will be advertising, telling you how bad Medicare for all is because they want to protect their profits. That is absurd. Vice if I President could Biden, respond, you George. You get, the, you get a response, then we're going to broaden out the discussion. Okay, number one, my health care plan does significantly cut the cost of the largest out-of-pocket payment you'll pay is $1,000. You'll be able to get into a, anyone who can't afford it, gets automatically enrolled in the, in, in, in the Medicare-type option we have, et cetera. But guess what? Of the 160 million people who like their health care now, they can keep it. If they don't like it, they can leave, number one. Number two, the fact of the matter is we're in a situation where, if you notice, he hadn't answered the question. This is about candor, honesty, big ideas. Let's have a big idea. The the tax of 2% that the senator is talking about, that raises about $3 billion. Guess what? That leaves you about $28 billion short. The senator said before it's going to cost you in your pay. There will be a deductible in your paycheck. You're going to the middle class person, someone making 60 grand with three kids. They're going to end up paying $5,000 more. They're going to end up paying 4% more on their income tax. That's a reality. Now, it's not a bad idea. If you like it, I don't like it. Okay. Now, I want everybody to keep to the time, but you did invoke both senators. I have to get responses to them. And then we sure, will run 
So pause there. Again, this is completely disingenuous on the part of Joe Biden. Well, let's also do a little fact check here. Um, so this fact check is from ABC News, who put on the debate. That's right. Um, so, quote, at issue is how much a government-run health care plan would cost, and that would depend greatly on how that plan is set up. Overall, though, Biden and Sanders actually agree that $30 trillion is a good estimate of what Sanders wants. It's likely they are looking at a 2016 report by the nonprofit Urban Institute found that if Sanders' plan were enacted between the years 2017 and 2026, quote, federal expenditures would increase by $32 trillion over that period. As for the $50 trillion estimate cited by Sanders, you remember when he said yeah. status quo? Uh, national health expenditure projections by the federal government's Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services found that, quote, under current law, national health spending is projected to grow at an average rate of 5.5% per year for 2018 to 2027 and to reach nearly $6 trillion by 2027. Hmm. And, and again, this is another one of those times where Joe Biden is kind of taking a Republican talking point and running with it. For instance, he is when he is not being uh, genuine, not being honest or earnest about how he is calculating middle class and they're, they're going to be taxed more. Yes, they are under Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren's plan. They are. Everyone will be taxed a little bit more, except for the lowest income among us who don't really pay taxes except for payroll taxes. They are going to be taxed more, but... Their overall output will be less. And according to uh, some of the numbers Bernie's talked about, like $6,000 less because of the fact that those health care costs are not coming out in premiums. They're going to be paid in taxes and the government's going to care for that. And then some of the the out-of-pocket expenses as far as prescriptions and as far as over what your deductible is, those won't exist anymore. That you'll never have to be in a position to declare bankruptcy because you had a heart attack or you got cancer. That won't be a thing anymore under a Medicare for all system. It just fucking won't. The conversation continues. Senator Warren, you go first. So let's be clear. I've actually never met anybody who likes their health insurance company. I've met people who like their doctors. I've met people who like their nurses. I've met people who like their pharmacists. I've met people who like their physical therapists. What they want is access to health care. And we just need to be clear about what Medicare for All is all about. Instead of paying premiums into insurance companies and then having insurance companies build their profits by saying no to coverage, we're going to do this by saying everyone is covered by Medicare for All, every health care provider is covered, and the only question here in terms of difference is where to send the bill. Senator Sanders. Let us be clear, Joe. In the United States of America, we are spending twice as much per capita on health care as the Canadians or any other major country on earth. This America. Yeah, but Americans don't want to pay twice as much as other countries. And they guarantee health care to all people. Under my Medicare for all proposal, when you don't pay out of pocket and you don't pay premiums, maybe you have run into people who love their premiums. I have it. 
What people want is cost-effective health care. Medicare for all will save the average American substantial sums of money on his or her health care bill. Was Joe Biden like stuck in in memory of watching the Childish Gambino video there or like yeah, why what, did he randomly say this is America into it, the mic it certainly shouldn't be <laughs> when Bernie Sanders says we pay twice per capita what they what they spend in Canada this is America that's what we do that's <laughs> we, what we do in America we got money we <laughs> like to spend the money that's insane what is he doing things cost more here life is more difficult here you have to use GoFundMe when you get cancer alright that's how it works this is America <laughs> ever heard of GoFundMe Bernie <laughs> The other awesome point there is what Elizabeth Warren just laid out, which is nobody likes their insurance company. Who in the world? Oh, man, I got Kaiser Permanente. I fucking love them. (laughs) They are great. I love when they deny claims Mm -hmm. or when they charge me more. That's just that's not the way it works. Like she said, people like their doctors. Yes, people love their health care providers. But no one likes their insurance companies because when you put health care under and in the confines of a profit-making model, there's going to be abuses. It's the same thing when there's a hurricane and people start jacking up the prices for things because there's less of it now. So if if we have in, in 10 years, if there's fewer doctors to go around because people don't want to get into the profession... Therefore, the price goes up for for, for medical care. That's okay. No. Health care is a human right. I've said it a million times. If we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, then you have the right to protect that life and preserve that life and conserve that life through health care. And it shouldn't be on a fucking profit model. I think an important point here is that... Is dealing with insurance like ever easy, regardless of what type of insurance you have? Like, is, uh, when you're rich, probably super easy. When you just pay the fucking bill. When you're rich, that yes. Okay, thank you for saying that. But I'm talking about for middle class families. I'm talking about low income people. Is it ever difficult? No. Even if you are on Obamacare, even if you are um, covered by a private health insurance company, there is always some difficulty associated with making appointments with getting the coverage getting approval for your insurance company to go see the dermatologist and then you have to call the dermatologist and get an appointment and that's all a pain in the ass and this is not a personal experience i'm just saying that that could be an example i'm just choosing Um, very specific things to talk about yeah and (laughs) (laughs) um so when these when these healthcare discussions happen it turns into why why would you want to disrupt the status quo? Everything's perfectly fine the way it is. Yeah. Um well we're going to make it so much easier. It's like well there's always some degree of difficulty here and we shouldn't be acting like any path is going to be easy because I think all of it is going to be difficult. There's definitely going to be growing pains. Right. And trying to just boil it down and say like I have the solution and everything's going to be fine and we're going to take care of it. It's like, well, which by the way, they're all doing. Yeah, let's be a little bit more cautious and not oversell how difficult this is all going to be. Yeah. So the the healthcare does continue. This is a conversation or an exchange specifically between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. George, 15 seconds. 15 seconds. 
Let me get to Congressman O'Rourke and then bring you. Go ahead, Mr. Vice President. 15 seconds. Look, everybody says you want an option. The option I'm proposing is a Medicare for all, in a Medicare for choice. If you want Medicare, if you lose the job from your insurance company, from your employer, you automatically can buy into this. You don't have no pre-existing condition can stop you from buying in. You get covered, period. And if you notice, nobody's yet said how much it's going to cost the taxpayer. I hear this large savings. The president thinks, uh, my friend from Vermont thinks that the employer is going to give you back if you negotiate as union all these years, got a cut in wages because you got insurance. They're going to give back that money to the employee? Matter of fact, they will. Well, let me tell you something. For a socialist, you got a, you, for a socialist, you got a lot more confidence in corporate America than I do. By Senator okay, Sanders. George. So, two things. One, maybe it's just me. And I don't really understand when English is spoken very well. But I didn't understand a fucking thing Joe Biden was trying to communicate there. He's hemming. He's hawing. He's stammering. He's all over the place. He can't find a cohesive, coherent thought with two fucking hands and a light and a flashlight on his head. Mm -hmm. Also, once again... Joe Biden is using Republican scare tactics around the word socialism. Yeah. Is this the man we want the new FDR to lead us in with a progressive agenda in further into the 21st century? Someone who's going to demonize and use scare around that word socialism? Come on. We already have a fundamental system of socialism in the country. We have Medicaid. We have Medicare. We have Social Security. We take care of our veterans, or we ostensibly do. That is socialism, where you pay taxes and we use it to help other people. Why would Joe Biden? Why would Joe Biden? Why? Would Joe Biden use it as a scare tactic? For me, it's disqualifying. It's also an interesting tactic to malign um, corporations. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from the part of Joe Biden. I, I thought that was an interesting line. Um, I just didn't expect that from him. Well, because everything it's counter to everything else he has been saying. Like, oh, we're going to keep these big insurance companies in business. We're going to keep the profit model surrounding healthcare. Yeah, like he's trying to play both sides, kind of. But, it's but exactly what in he's an doing. undercover way, in an underhanded way, where he has this little throwaway line about trusting corporations. You know, he does trust corporations. Otherwise, his healthcare plan would be different. Yeah. Ugh. Here's Bernie responding. Go ahead. All right. Two points. Yep. You got to defend the fact that today. Not only do we have 87 million people uninsured and underinsured, you got to defend the fact that 500,000 Americans are going bankrupt. You know why they're going bankrupt? Because they suffered a terrible disease, cancer or heart disease. Under my legislation, people will not go into financial ruin because they suffered with a diagnosis of cancer. And our program is the only one that does that. I know a lot about cancer. Let me tell you something. It's personal to me. Let me tell you something. Every single person who is diagnosed with cancer or any other disease can automatically 
become part of this plan. They will not go bankrupt because of that. They will not go bankrupt because of that. They can join immediately. And we're talking four, six, eight, ten years, depending on you talk about, before we get to Medicare for all. Come on. I've been there. You've been there. You know what it's like. People need help now, hope now, and do something now. It bothers me that he uses the cancer card whenever it's convenient. I know about cancer. It's, it's, it's personal to me. Everybody has been touched by cancer, the scourge of this disease. You don't get to have it be your thing, Joe Biden. It's tragic that you lost your young son to brain cancer. I mean, it is unimaginable what it must be like for a parent to lose a, a child. But you, you don't have a monopoly on understanding and your health care plan. So cancer, you're, you're immune from bankruptcy. What about other things? What about if you, you get some kind of a, a, a condition in your leg that isn't cancer? Are you now subject to bankruptcy, but only immune? You're not communicating well here. So we talked about Julian Castro and his flub, which I think is universally understood as a fuck up. Yeah, he has also said that he was not referring to Joe Biden's age. Nope, I do not buy that for one fuck. And I, listen, I don't even not like him. I think he's, yeah, I think he's good. I think he's good for the party. I think he's uh, he's a decent guy. But that's that's bullshit. That's disingenuous. That's a lie. It's clear that it was ready to go, and it, it, what they meant it. They they engineered that that uh, soundbite that you're getting ready to hear, where he talks about Joe Biden forgetting. They engineered it in such a way that he could have deniability. What? That's not what I meant. I didn't mean anything about how he's old and forgets things. He also defended himself saying, quote, I wouldn't do it differently. This was not a personal attack. This was about a disagreement over what the vice president said regarding health care policy. Again, prefabricated. Here it is. You know, I also want to recognize uh, the work that Bernie has done on this. Uh, and of course, uh, we owe a debt of gratitude to President Barack Obama. Uh, of course, I also work for President Obama, uh, Vice President Biden. And I know that the problem with your plan is that it leaves 10 million people uncovered. Now, on the last debate stage in Detroit, you said that wasn't true. When Senator Harris brought that up, there was a, a fact check of that. And they said that was true. Uh, you know, I grew up with a grandmother who had type 2 diabetes, and I watched her condition get worse and worse. Uh, but that whole time, she had Medicare. Uh, I want every single American family to have a strong Medicare plan available. If they choose to hold on to strong, solid private health insurance, I believe they should be able to do that. But the difference between what I support and what you support, Vice President Biden, is that you require them to opt in. And I would not require them to opt in. They would automatically be enrolled. They wouldn't have to buy in. That's a big difference because Barack Obama's vision was not to leave 10 million people uncovered. They, he wanted every single person in this country covered. My plan would do that. Your plan would they not. They do not have to buy in. They do not have to buy in. You just said that. You just said that two minutes ago. You just said two minutes ago that they would have to buy in. You said they would have to buy in. to buy in. If she qualifies for Medicaid, are you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? Are you forgetting already what you said just two minutes ago? I mean, I can't believe 
that you said two minutes ago that they had to buy in, and now you're saying they don't have to buy. You're forgetting that. I said anyone I mean, like look, your grandmother who look, has no money. We need she a health care system you're automatically, that automatically enrolls people regardless of whether they choose to opt in or not. If you lose your job, for instance, his... His health care plan would not automatically enroll you. You would have to opt in. My health care plan would. That's a big difference. I'm fulfilling, fulfilling the legacy of Barack Obama, and you're not. I'll be surprised to him. Andrew Yang. This is why come presidential on, debates on. are becoming unwatchable. Yeah. Yeah, this where, this where reminds everybody of what they cannot can I, stand about Washington. Scoring I, points against each other, poking I, at each other, and telling each other that, that you're my plan, your plan. Look, we all yeah, That's called a Democratic primary election. <laughs> that's called an election. That's an election. You know, this is what we're here for. It's an election. Yeah, but a house, a house divided cannot stand. And that is not how we're Look, going to everyone, we know we're on the same team here. <laughs> Everybody, I, I lo- Andrew Yang, I'm here to say something. I loved this. <laughs> I loved this moment because it was so stupid. Um, but I love this moment because it was so stupid. I think I disagree with everybody, though. So I, I didn't appreciate um, Julian Castro's approach. I didn't think that what he did was cool. Um and that's because well he ended up being wrong about what he said and we'll, yeah, we'll get right. to that in a moment yeah, yeah. but um i also don't appreciate the guys guys we shouldn't be doing this like no you you can have vigorous debate it should be respectful right you shouldn't be going after someone's age and trying to say that they forgot something that they didn't forget well, no, like no, no, if no. you're going to do that you want to be sure that what you're saying is correct yeah, you know well i i, I want to push back on that and clarify because i think if you're going to do it it needs to be direct you need to have a press release and actually talk about listen we have sincere concerns about the mental health and acuity of joe biden who's an old man he's going to be 80 if he was to win the presidency, he would be 80 years old after his first term. So let's let's not – that is some, a legitimate topic to talk about, but not with underhanded slights and jabs. Do it respectfully. Do it um, like a fucking adult. But there has been too much discussion of – Democrats, quote unquote, eating their own yeah, yeah. whenever there is legitimate, constructive criticism offered. And I know that that's not what was offered here. So that's why I'm I'm torn with what happened, because I don't really agree with anybody on the stage. But I, I just I don't think that these talking points of guys, guys, we're all on the same team. Let's not do this like. And then Amy Klobuchar jumping in and saying a house divided cannot stand when she has repeatedly been asked, Amy, you keep saying that there's like radicals. There's radical positions here. Who Who is radical? Yeah. And she'll never say who. Yeah, that's you're, she, you're this, saying in this it, debate that happened. Right. But you're doing it in an underhanded way. You can't even be direct, but you are leveling that criticism. You are saying that people are radical, yeah. that they're going too far. She's doing it in print interviews. But when the cameras are on, oh, it's, I'm Midwestern nice. <laughs> Yeah. So again, this is the point of the primary. Yeah. Okay. This is the point. And so that's something that I did agree with Castro about is, yeah, this is the point of the primary where we're supposed to really dig in here and have a vigorous debate. That's the whole point. And like it or not, it's politics, people. So 
anyway, getting back to uh, the quote, this is the quote that he may have been referring to. um, And this is from Biden's earlier exchange with Sanders and Warren, quote, the option I'm proposing is Medicare for all Medicare for choice. If you want Medicare, if you lose the job from your insurance, from your employer, you automatically can buy into this. You don't have no pre-existing condition can stop you from buying in. You get covered, period. What's great about this? Hold the thought. What's great about this is when you read Trump, it sounds frantic and all over the place and doesn't make any sense. When you read Biden, who, when he was actually saying it, didn't make any sense at all, it sounds more sensible. Mm-hmm. So it's like the weird reverse. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. He needs me to be his translator. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> what Castro didn't mention is that Joe Biden also said this, quote, okay, number one, my health care plan does significantly cut the costs of the largest out-of-pocket payment you'll pay is $1,000. you will be able to get into a anyone who can afford it gets automatically enrolled in the Medicare type option we have. Okay. So the original quote that Castro took issue with and really uh, jumped on was without the full context, right? There was a moment where Joe Biden was stumbling over his words, maybe said something um, without the full context of what he was actually talking about. And um, he kind of pounced on that and used it as an opportunity to get that as you believe, pre-prepared line in about him forgetting and about his age. Well, I mean, listen, I I don't know if that was a jab against me that I believe, but I've been just been around politics long enough and um, to just recognize that. It's the same thing with the Joe Biden line. Well, you're for Bernie. I'm for Barack. Those are all, you know, engineered lines through campaign staff. Anyway, let's move on. We're off the healthcare thing now. That the reason that we spent so much time on healthcare is one, because it's important, and two, because it really did take up a large section at the very top of the debate um, of the time. Yeah, it's something that is on the top of the list for voters as well. For sure. Something that voters are very concerned about. Another segment of the debate that they spent a lot of time on was racism. How to deal with racism, addressing racism in our society. And we're only going to play two particular segments because I thought they were the most poignant. One is from Cory Booker. And then the second is from Kamala Harris, who, first of all, the lady asking the questions is a black lady. Second of all, they're at a a historically black college or university. Um, It's where they held the debate. So it is... uh, I thought it was a great exchange. Senator Booker, you have said, quote, the real question isn't who is or isn't a racist. It's who's going to do something about it. Senator, what do you plan to do about it? Well, first and foremost, I want to hit that point because we know Donald Trump's a racist, but there is no red bag of courage for calling him that. If racism exists. The question isn't who, in, who isn't a racist. It's who is and isn't doing something about racism. And this is not just an issue that started yesterday. It's not just an issue that we hear a president that can't contemn white supremacy. We have systemic racism that is eroding our nation from health care to the criminal justice system. And it's nice to go all the way back to slavery, but dear God, we have a criminal justice system that is so racially biased, we have more African Americans under criminal supervision today than all the slaves in 1850. 
We have to come at this issue attacking systemic racism, having the courage to call it out, and having a plan to do something about it. If I am president of the United States, we will create an office in the White House to deal with the problem of white supremacy and hate crimes. And we will make sure that systemic racism is dealt with in substantive plans from criminal justice reform to the disparities in health care to even one that we don't talk about enough, which is the racism that we see in environmental injustice in communities of color all around this country. So I saw some tweets uh, making fun of parts of this answer, specifically the creating a specific office to deal with the problem of white supremacy. I think the tweet said something like, oh, do you mean like the Department of Justice? Yeah, but it's not. I I mean, I don't know how I feel about the plan, but I don't think it's a it should be dismissed out of hand because there's already a Department of Justice because the Department of Justice is historically not fucking getting it done. Right. And that's what is implicit in that tweet is that it's already being taken care of. right? Right. There's already something that is created that is responding to the threat of white supremacy and addressing it. And that is certainly not the case. Yeah. So (laughs) I think what Cory Booker was getting at is that this would be a priority for him. Yeah. Uh, Right now, we have a president of the United States whose priority is ratcheting up the racism and hostility toward people of color. And Cory Booker is saying that his priority would be addressing the very real threat and problem of growing white supremacy in this country. Let's be frank about this. We haven't had in modern history a president um, for whom acts of terrorists were carried out in their name. That probably was wildly grammatically incorrect. But when have we had a president that domestic white supremacist terror was carried out using the names, using the words of the president of the United States, invoking the name of president of the president of the United States from, from, uh, Christchurch, New Zealand, who actually talked about Donald Trump to this dipshit. In El Paso, it is happening all over the country and, in fact, all over the world. To the MAGA bomber. The MAGA bomber. Mm -hmm. Caesar something. Sayoc. Mm -hmm. Caesar Sayoc. I don't know why we're having to say the fucking names. But listen. We actually should cut that out. That's too much work. So anyway. All right. It is just... It is just... uh, It is ridiculous to dismiss it out of hand. I don't know that I agree... I also don't think that maybe it's a, I also don't necessarily think it's a bad idea. And before I stop being able to even talk, we should probably move on. Kamala Harris, in the same exchange about racism, was asked about her record, her problematic record related to the topic. Also a concern for people of color is criminal justice reform. Senator Harris, you released your plan for that just this week, and it does contradict some of your prior positions. Among them, you used to oppose the legalization of marijuana. Now you don't. You used to oppose outside investigations of police shootings. Now you don't. You've said that you changed on these and other things because you were, quote, swimming against the current, and thankfully the currents have changed. But when you had the power, why didn't you try to affect change then? So there have been, um, there have been, I'm glad you asked me this question. Oh, you're so glad that she got asked this question. Yeah, I did. I did the vomit because, um, you know, that's how she had to have felt, right? (laughs) Just. So listen, um, 
we'll we'll play it out. We're gonna reenact it. You yeah. ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Senator Kamala Harris, so you used to be against the legalization of marijuana. You also used to be against outside investigations of police shootings, and now you're for them. You used to be terrible on things related to race and the criminal justice system. <laughs> what <laughs> has changed? <laughs> Just don't even need to finish your question. Just the, she, the she stress just starts, vomiting is going to occur. The stress vomiting, yeah. the retching. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have to go to the bathroom real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine? Listen. Standing on the stage and having all of those things be highlighted in front of the audience well, and in front of millions of people watching on TV and the pressure is on you to respond to your very terrible record. And that is it. <laughs> that it is a, uh, a definite, undeniable... Very terrible record. And there have been many distortions of my record. Let me be very clear. Uh, I made a decision to become a... (laughs) I also love this line. It came up a lot during the debate. It wasn't just Kamala Harris, although she does use it a lot. Let me be clear about this. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to be super clear in my response to this question. Well, she goes, let me be very clear. There have been many distortions of my record... Uh, but I'm not going to clarify my record right now. I'm going to talk about other things. But just rest assured, there have been glaring misrepresentations of my record. Prosecutor, for two reasons. One, I've always wanted to protect people and keep them safe. And second, I was born knowing about how this criminal justice system in America has worked in a way that has been informed by racial bias. Google Kevin Cooper. Go Google Kevin Cooper, Kamala Harris, and see just how much she's been informed and understanding of how racial prejudice has has uh, been pervasive in our criminal justice system. A man who to this day is on death row. When she had a chance to allow the evidence in his case to be reviewed and denied him the opportunity. We are now getting to a point where, well, now she wants the evidence to be reviewed now that she's running for president and it's going to have a, a spotlight on it. And there is a chance that he might be let out of prison off of death row. But it is, it is bullshit. We'll just say it plainly. It is fucking bullshit for her to act like she's always been an activist for racial justice in the criminal justice system. And I could tell you extensively about the experiences I and my family members have personally had. But I made a decision that if I was going to have the ability to reform the system, I would try to do it from the inside. And so I took on the position that allowed me, without asking permission, to create one of the first in the nation uh, initiatives that was a model and became a national model around people who were arrested for drugs and getting them jobs. I created one of the first in the nation requirements that a state law enforcement agency would have to wear cameras and keep them on full time. I created one of the first in the nation trainings for police officer on the issue of racial bias and the need to reform the system. Was I able to get enough done? Absolutely not. But my plan has been described by activists as being a bold and comprehensive plan that is about ending mass incarceration, about taking the profit out of the criminal justice system. I plan on shutting down for profit prisons on day one. It will be about what we need to do. 
to hold law enforcement, including prosecutors, accountable. And finally, my plan is about making sure that in America's criminal justice system, we de-incarcerate women and children, that we end solitary confinement, and that we work on keeping families intact. And as President of the United States, knowing the system from the inside, I will have the ability to be an effective leader and get this job complete. Thank you, Senator Harris. I want to de-incarcerate women and children that I am responsible for incarcerating. Ah, sounds great. Let's undo the damage that I did as a prosecutor, as attorney general of the state of California. I want to undo all of that fucking bad juju. Come on, Kamala Harris. Anyway, thankfully, I don't think she's going to be the nominee because there's a lot of problems there. There's a lot of shit to attack there from the Republican side, even though it's shit that they agree with. They will be easily able to point out her her past record versus her current stances, which seem to me to be clear it's because she's running for president. Next, we're going back to Joe Biden. And this was during an exchange about education. And they, and this is like 12 or 15 minutes later in the debate. And, uh, they're talking about education, but specifically the same African American questioner, moderator, asked Joe Biden about his record. And they start with a statement that Joe Biden made about 40 years ago about he'll be damned if he's going to feel guilty about what happened during slavery times. I'm not responsible for that. I'm not going to feel guilty. And right when she starts asking the question, he fucking grin, the shitty grin on his face and he scoffs. I want to describe what he was doing and what it looked like because you can only hear the, the guffaw that he makes. Thank you, Senator. Uh, Mr. Vice President, I want to come to you and talk to you about inequality in schools and race. In a conversation. Did you hear it? Yeah. It was very light. But it was... It was beaming on his face. Yeah, it was very odd. And you also could see a quick correction of what happened. So after he smiled and scoffed at the question, which there's no reason to do that. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're being addressed. You're having your own record and your own statements brought to the to, to light. Right. Um, he kind of course corrected and noticed what he did and then straightened out his face. Thank you, Senator. Uh, Mr. Vice President, I want to come to you and talk to you about inequality in schools and race. In a conversation about how to deal with segregation in schools back in 1975, you told a reporter, I don't feel responsible for the sins of my father and grandfather. I feel responsible for what the situation is today, for the sins of my own generation. And I'll be damned if I feel responsible to pay for what happened 300 years ago. You said, Let's address that. Because under that logic, I should not feel guilty about what happened during the time that Joe Biden made that statement. And we're still, we've not course corrected. We're still building on the mistakes from slavery. We're still building on the mistakes from 1975. So using that logic, I could be able to say, look, I am not, I'll be damned if I'm going to feel guilty about what happened in 1975. That's not my mistakes. I'm only worried about what's happening now. It's a stupid thing to say because what's happening now is a result of what happened in 1975 and what happened in 1950 and what happened in 1820. All of it, all of it is connected. 
said that some 40 years ago. But as you stand here tonight, what responsibility do you think that Americans need to take to repair the legacy of slavery in our country? Well, they have to deal with the, the look, there is institutional segregation in this country. And from the time I got involved, I started dealing with that. Redlining, banks, making sure that we are in a position where, look, talk about education. I propose that what we take is those very poor schools, the Title I schools, triple the amount of money we spend from 15 to 45 billion a year, give every single teacher a raise to the equal raise of getting out of the $60,000 level. Number two, make sure that we bring in to help the the, the teachers. All right. Here's where it starts going off the fucking rails. Here's where Joe Biden once again proves he's not ready for prime time in a 2020 presidential election because he starts stuttering and stammering and fumbling for his words and his thoughts and a cohesive narrative about what he thinks the policy should be. The other thing that he does that you're getting ready to hear is starts indicting poor parents of color about they need to be taught how to raise their kids. They need to be taught how to play the record player for their babies so they hear more words. Deal with the problems that come from home. The problems that come from home, we need. We have one school psychologist for every 1,500 kids in America today. It's crazy. The teachers are, and I'm married to a teacher. My deceased wife is a teacher. They have every problem coming to them. We have make sure that every single child does, in fact, have three, four, and five-year-olds go to school. School, not daycare, school. We bring social workers into homes and parents to help them deal with how to raise their children. It's not that they don't want to help. They don't want, they don't know quite what to do. Play the radio, make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night, the, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. A kid coming from a very poor school, or a very poor background, will hear four million words fewer spoken by the time they get there. There's Thank so you, much Wright, we, no, I'm, I'm gonna go like the rest of them do, twice over, okay? Because, because here, here's the deal. The deal is that we've got this a little backwards. And by the way, in Venezuela, we should be allowing people to come here from Venezuela. I know Maduro. I've confronted Maduro. We're going to stop it there because he rambles on about Venezuela. Yeah. Um, I, I think he was touching on important things that should be highlighted in a discussion about poverty. Um, how kids who are coming from low-income households and you you said specifically that he was saying to people of color um, well that's because she phrased the question around his position on race so the whole thing is predicated upon what he believes uh, related to the racial question because she starts it with this is what you said uh 40 years ago okay about segregation and race yeah so the whole answer is about people of color yeah so Yes. So I guess um, he didn't explicitly state um, that he was transitioning into a broader discussion about poverty. Um, he just based on his response to what the question was about. Is that what you're... Well, I think it's it's he is um, pres- pres- presupposing that people of color are generally poor and don't know how to raise their kids. Okay. Yeah. Um, so 
what I'm trying to highlight, though, is that I do think that he is raising important things that should be discussed related to poverty. Um, yes. Poverty, not necessarily people of color and their parenting. Well, that's a real um, statistic. That's a real thing that's true. Right. The kids do hear fewer words um, that they are not read to, that they don't hear their parents having conversations uh, because oftentimes it's a single parent household and the parent works a lot and there isn't a lot of time and attention there. And that's not a moral failing on the part of the parent that we're talking about here. It is the scourge of poverty. And I, I think that's what I'm trying to get at here is I wish that there was more time and attention spent to the issue of poverty and what people of all uh, racial backgrounds have to endure in situations of poverty yeah. and what kids who come from low income households have to go through the hurdles that they have to jump the additional hurdles. Um, and if they don't have people in their lives that help guide them, um, then yes, they are starting from a poor position. Yeah. He, the problem is, is they weren't talking about poverty. They were talking about education. And rather than talk about education and full on address the education question, he jumps into how parents are failing because they don't know how to raise their kids. We need to bring in a bunch of social workers to teach them how to raise their children. He's just... He's all over the fucking map. Okay, bro, don't come at me. I'm not okay? coming at you. I'm not defending I'm Joe Biden. I'm coming at Joe Biden. I I'm, know you're not defending okay. him. Because I, I understand. He didn't answer the question. He he didn't... Bro, don't he, come at me. <laughs> he didn't provide an answer to the question. And he kind of rambled on about all of these different ideas. But what I'm saying is, is I appreciate him highlighting at least that small aspect of research related to kids who grow up in poverty. Because sure. it is important. And... People don't understand the unique disadvantages that people are at, and they don't think of something as simple as kids don't hear enough words. You yeah, know, well, they don't even think about that, that and needed, the impact that it has. Then that needs its own segment during the debate. I completely agree. Yes. And if we could really get that going, um, DNC, if we could get an entire debate dedicated to the issue of poverty yes. and, and low income people. That would be very important, and Even I would appreciate that. The DNC, the fucking failing DNC, which refused, <laughs> which refused to have a climate change debate. What are they doing? Fucking Democratic National Committee. Their goofy ass rules and their weird decisions that they're making. Anyway, moving on to a completely different segment of topic. Uh, of conversation. What is wrong with me? You may think it's maybe the entire pot of coffee that I've drank. That could be it. It's uh, bringing our troops home from Afghanistan. Now, again, we're only going to play two different segments of this uh, segment. <laughs> speaking of going off the rails, Brittany Page. Mm -hmm. And also speaking of me disagreeing with a candidate, my particular candidate. Uh, it's uh, Elizabeth Warren we're going to start with. And then moving on to somebody who actually knows a little bit about it because he served over there, Pete Buttigieg. I want to turn now to our troops overseas into America's longest war in Afghanistan. U.S. talks with the Taliban are dead, according to the president. Secret talks at Camp David have been canceled before they could happen. Many of you have waited on that already. So I want to move past that tonight to what all of you have promised on the campaign trail. Many of you on this stage have said you'd bring the troops home in your first term. Others have said in your first year. Senator Warren, we all know the presidency is much different from the campaign trail. President Obama wanted to bring the troops home. President Trump promised to bring the troops home. And you have said of Afghanistan, let's help them reach a peace settlement. It is time to bring our troops home, in your words, starting right now. 
Would you keep that promise to bring the troops home starting right now with no deal with the Taliban? Yes. And I'll tell you why. What we're doing right now in Afghanistan is not helping the safety and security of the United States. It is not helping the safety and security of the world. It is not helping the safety and security of Afghanistan. We need to bring our troops home. And then we need to make a big shift. We cannot ask our military to keep solving problems that cannot be solved militarily. We're not going to bomb our way to a solution in Afghanistan. We need to treat the problem of terrorism as a worldwide problem. And that means we need to be working with all of our allies, our European allies, our Canadian allies, our Asian allies, our allies in Africa and in South America. We need to work together to root out terrorism. It means using all of our tools. It means economic investment. It means expanding our diplomatic efforts instead of hollowing out the State Department and deliberately making it so we have no eyes and ears in many of these countries. We need a foreign policy that is about our security and about leading on our values. Senator Warren, a quick follow on that, because top U.S. leaders, military leaders on the ground in Afghanistan told me you can't do it without a deal with the Taliban. You just said you would. You, know, look, you would bring them home. What if they told you that? Would you listen to their advice? I was in Afghanistan with John McCain two years ago this past summer. I think it may have been Senator McCain's last trip before he was sick. And I talked to people. We did. We talked to military leaders, American and local leaders. We talked to people on the ground and asked the question, the same one I ask on the Senate Armed Services Committee, every time one of the generals comes through, show me what winning looks like. Tell me what it looks like. And what you hear is a lot of, <laughs> because no one can describe it. And the reason no one can describe it is because the problems in Afghanistan are not problems that can be solved by a military. I have three older brothers who all served in the military. I understand firsthand the kind of commitment they have made. They will do anything we ask them to do, but we cannot ask them to solve problems that they alone cannot solve. We need to work with the rest of the world. We need to use our economic tools. We need to use our diplomatic tools. We need to build with our allies, and we need to make the whole world safer, not keep troops bombing in Afghanistan. Senator Warren, thank you. So here's the deal. First of all, let me say this. When you ask generals questions, they don't go, I don't know. That's not what generals do. That's not how they behave. That's not how they answer questions. Elizabeth Warren. Secondly, two things can be fucking true at one time. That we do need to use our diplomatic resources and our economic resources to help these countries to prevent both from a humanitarian standpoint, but also from a social construction standpoint, that we battle against the ideas that are uh, and the, the circumstances that are creating terrorism. That can be true, and so can it also be true that we need to remain as a presence, a military presence, for a time in the Middle East while we're getting the other thing up and running. 
You don't yank the troops out, create a power vacuum, and then let the Taliban rise again, killing, murdering gays, objectifying and oppressing girls and women. Keep in mind, it's that kind of a, of a, of a society that ended up with uh, um, Malala shot in the fucking head. Now, she wasn't from Afghanistan. She was from Pakistan. But it's very similar relative to the social influences. And you can't just yank the troops out. It's not responsible. Yes, of course we want our troops out. Yes, but you have to do it with brains. You have to do it uh, with a with a forethought of what could happen, what would be the result. And you can't just say, oh, well, you know, we've been doing this for so many years, we just need to get out of there. What will be the result of us going in, meddling, and then yanking the troops? It'll be widespread oppression. Death. Destruction. So put all those other things in place. Those other solutions that she talked about. Without just immediately yanking the troops. Without a plan. Because as much as she wants the generals, who she says are... She wants them to have a plan. She needs to have a plan of what would be the result of of following through with what she says. So anyway, we're going to move on to Pete Buttigieg's answer. Pete Buttigieg's answer mm-hmm. <laughs> on this very topic. And again, listen, he was there. It doesn't make him an expert in the region. It doesn't make me an expert in the region. But he certainly has a better idea of command and control and the chain of command and what is actually taking place on the ground than Elizabeth Warren. Senator Warren, thank you. I do want to stay on this, and I want to turn to Mayor Buttigieg, because you're the only veteran on this stage who served in Afghanistan. We heard in recent days from General Joseph Dunford, the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who said in recent days, I'm not going to use the word withdrawal right now. It's our judgment the Afghans need support to deal with a level of violence. If he's not even using the word withdrawal, would you put your promise to bring troops home in the first year on hold to follow the advice? You know, I served under General Dunford way under General Dunford in Afghanistan. (laughs) And today, September 12th, 2019, means that today you could be 18 years old, old enough to serve, and have not been alive on 9-11. We have got to put an end to endless war. And the way we do it is see to it that that country will never again be used for an attack against our homeland, and that does not require an open-ended commitment of ground troops. Let me say something else, because if there's one thing we've learned about Afghanistan, from Afghanistan, it's that the best way not to be caught up in endless war is to avoid starting one in the first place. And so, when I am president, an authorization for the use of military force will have a built-in three-year sunset. Congress will be required to vote, and a president will be required to go to Congress to seek an authorization. Because if our troops can summon the courage to go overseas, the least our members of Congress should be able to do is summon the courage to take a vote on whether they ought to be there. By the way, we also have a president right now who 
seems to treat troops as props, or worse, tools for his own enrichment. We saw what's going on with flights apparently being routed through Scotland just so people can stay at his hotels. I'll tell you, as a military officer, the very first thing that goes through your mind, the first time you ever make eye contact with somebody that you were responsible for in uniform, is do not let these men and women down. This president is doing exactly that. I will not. Mayor Buttigieg, thank you. That I don't disagree with. He didn't commit to, yeah, we're yanking him out of there. He said, it doesn't require an open-ended commitment. I agree with that. We do need to get troops home. But we need to do it wisely. And I don't believe that the way Elizabeth Warren is talking about it is wise. All right. Now, to the end discussion we were having at the top of the show, this final question on resiliency, Mm -hmm. on professional setbacks. Yeah. We're going to play kind of a juxtaposition here. They did not have the closing statements, and they instead went with this resiliency question. Which I liked a lot. Yeah. I like not... Look, the closing statement's the same as the opening statement. Why waste the fucking time it's with It's a it? rehearsed... Yes. ...thing. This... Yeah. This... I wonder if they gave them um, any heads up at all, because it doesn't seem like they did. Because Biden, again, stimmer, stammer, hummer, dummer, fucking didn't know what he was saying, seemed caught off guard by it. Here's Biden. Then we're going to go again to Pete Buttigieg. One question for each candidate. We're going to go in reverse order from the opening statement. And candidates, uh, the question is on the quality of resilience. Uh, No president can succeed without resilience. Every president confronts crises, defeats, and mistakes. So I want to ask each of you, what's the most significant professional setback you've had to face? Remember that. Professional setback. Professional setback setback not personal professional how did you recover from it and what did you learn from it vice president biden i uh i never counted any professional setback i have as a serious setback uh there's things that are important things that are unimportant so of course Uh, The protest went on for a while. A little advice for protesters. If you're going to be protesting, you should at least do it clearly so people understand what it is that you're protesting. Because in this case, I have no idea. I don't think anybody even on Twitter was able to find out what it was. Senator Biden, we'll start the clock again. They're chanting, we are DACA recipients, our lives are at risk. All right. Well, they needed to do it more clearly because that's an important message. I'm sorry. We're sorry. Go ahead. There's setbacks and there's setbacks. And uh, I think the most critical setback that can occur to anyone is to uh, um, lose, uh, well, my, my dad had an expression. I said, Joey, it's not a question of succeeding whether you get knocked down. It's how quickly you get up. And, uh, and you say, you never explain and never complain. And then go on to say that the only obligation that really matters, the f- most important thing, is family. And so I was raised to believe that that was the center of everything, family. And it could be judged on based how you treat your family and, and how you went from there. And I, uh, um, 
It took, you know, Kierkegaard said, faith sees best in the dark. Right after I got elected, my wife and daughter were killed in an automobile accident, and my, and my, uh, my two sons are badly injured. And I'd just been elected, not sworn in. And uh, I lost my faith for a while. I came back. And then later, when my son Bo came home from Iraq and with a terminal disease, and uh, a year later, a year and a half later, losing him was like losing part of my soul. But the fact is that I learned that the way you deal with it is you deal with finding purpose, purpose in what you do. And that's why I, I hope, I hope he's proud of me today because he wanted to make sure I didn't run for president, but I stayed engaged because when you get hit badly, whether you're losing a job or you're raising a family like my dad, where you have to make that longest walk up the stairs to tell your kid you can't live here anymore, dad lost his job, you know, we've all been through that, some form or another. And it just takes, it just, for me, the way I've dealt with it is uh, finding purpose. And my purpose is do what I've always tried to do and uh, stay engaged in public policy. And But uh, there's a lot of people that through a lot worse than I have, get up every single morning, put their feet one foot in front of another without the help I had. They're real heroes out there. Some Thank real you, Mr. Heroes. Vice President. Senator Warren. So there was, again, a non-answer. Yeah. Uh, Complete avoidance. Very much just rambling. I don't even know if he knew, and this isn't because of some age thing. I just think he was, he's such in the mindset of like a Donald Trump of never apologizing, of nothing's, everything's great, I've never failed, every decision has been great, that he didn't know how to answer the question. Yeah, it was very strange. It was very strange. And you laughed at the beginning of his answer because it was kind of that response of, I'm a perfectionist. Yeah. You know? Well, I never consider any kind of setback a failure. I work too hard. I love too hard. Like, we get it, okay? Yeah. Just talk about like a failure that you've had, okay? <laughs> Resiliency, dealing with a professional setback. We all have weaknesses. It's okay. I will give him a little bit. I mean, he's supposed to, he wants to be president of the United States. So a question like this should have been a softball, just to have been able to talk about it at length for as long as he needs to. So he was the first one to answer the question. So I'll give him a little, just a little bit of leeway there because everybody else had the advantage of being able to like, oh, fuck, what am I going to say? Here's Pete Buttigieg, who actually answers and really, really digs deep and answers from a very personal way about a professional thing. And it really, for me, illustrates just what a great fucking future that he has on the American political stage. It's also the first time a presidential candidate has told their coming out story. Oh. Which yeah. I think is very important. I didn't even think of that. Amazing. Senator Harris, thank you very much. Mayor Buttigieg. You know, as a military officer serving under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and as an elected official in the state of Indiana when Mike Pence was governor. At a certain point, when it came to professional setbacks, I had to wonder whether just acknowledging who I was was going to be the ultimate career-ending professional setback. <clears throat> I came back from the deployment and realized that you only get to live one life, and I was not interested in not knowing what it was like to be in love any longer. So I just came out. I had no idea what kind of professional setback it would be, especially because, inconveniently, it was an election year in my socially conservative community. What happened was that 
when I trusted voters to judge me based on the job that I did for them, they decided to trust me and re-elected me with 80% of the vote. And what I learned was that trust can be reciprocated and that part of how you can win and deserve to win is to know what's worth more to you than winning. And I think that's what we need in the presidency right now. We have to know what we are about. And this election is not about any of us up here. It is not about this president, even though it's hard to talk of anything else some days. It's about the people who trust us with their lives. A kid wondering if we're actually going to make their schools safe when they've learned active shooter drills before they've learned to read. A generation wondering whether we will actually get the job done on climate change. And if we hold to that, then it doesn't matter what happens to each of us professionally. Together, we will win a better era for our country. Mayor Buttigieg, thank you. This is a guy I really could see myself voting for. Yeah, well, like I said, I was having, I was drifting off into a fantasy world where he was debating Mike Pence. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I could just see that happening. Um, I could see him being the vice president, uh, vice presidential nominee. Yeah. And I, I think that that would be awesome. Yeah. I, um, I think a, a wonder ticket would be Elizabeth Warren beat Buttigieg. Hmm. I don't I don't agree with everything that he stands for and what his positions are. But you want somebody who intrinsically has a sense of duty and honor to not only the country, but the office they hold. And it seems to me that although he's made mistakes... He has confronted those mistakes. He doesn't act like he's never made a mistake before. Every single politician is human. And being human, they're going to make mistakes. Whether it be Bernie and some of his past uh, missteps, positions he's held, groups he's supported, or Elizabeth Warren. Some of the things that I disagree with her on right now that I've outlined. Kamala Harris. But it's how you react in the aftermath of those mistakes. Something to think about. Anyway, we'd love your thoughts. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Listen, we would love to have you consider supporting the show financially on Patreon. You can go to teamdollamore.com or dollamore.com slash Patreon. Take part in the rewards. We have monthly live face-to-face Google Hangouts. Not where you can chat to us, but actual face-to-face conversations with a group of other listeners. It is a good time. That's part of one of the rewards. We also send out stickers. There's all kinds of stuff. We send out a newsletter. There's more community engagement if you become a Patreon supporter. There is a Discord server that one of the listeners created yeah. that you get access to as well. Mm-hmm. It is a, it really is a community building exercise and we, 
we love the community that has that has grown around this goddamn podcast. Yeah, we also want to say that we want to hear from you, your perspectives on the debate, who you thought was the winner, who you thought was the loser, um, who you want to see out of the race, who you want to see on the debate stage in the next debate um, in Ohio on October 15th and possibly October 16th as well. Um, so we want to hear from you. 657-464-7609. I doubt it at dollamore.com. If we were wrong about anything, tell us. If we left anything out, tell us. We want to hear it. We don't want to hear about how right we were because then it would be just this cacophony of support. We want to hear from the one or two of you who disagree. <laughs> <laughs> With exactly. any of the things we've said. So please, sound off. We want to hear from you. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Dollamore. Brittany is Brittany E. Page. And the podcast is at I Doubt It Podcast. We love you guys. We'll see you next time. Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore. And this has been I Doubt It.